Uh, question, how well uh, do you think you know me? I could do a little quiz, but I don't know if you're like me, um, that you're often surprised when people make an assumption about you or say something about you, and you think, gosh, you don't really know me. You all have a perception of me, maybe for years that you've been coming, maybe just tonight. Some of you may know uh, some specific details. Some of you may have just worked out that Joel is my son uh, who was here. Some of you, that's just a bombshell that's hit you. And uh, some of you will know which football team I support. Um, but I guarantee there's a load of things that you don't know. There's a load of things I don't really know about myself, let alone whether you would know them. And um, during the pandemic, people were watching more. Of, uh, the Kath was wheedling out things about me that I tried to keep secret for, for many, many years. And so people would say to me after the pandemic, oh, I got to know you far better, found out more about you than I ever knew before, uh, as if that was a good thing. But I found that quite a, a disconcerting thing. Um, and I don't know, in a way, unless I was to come and live with each one of you for a couple of years, nobody's really going to know us. We don't really know people till we live with them day in, day out. And even then, there are things that surprise us that we don't really know about someone. How do we get to know someone? And, and then the question I was talking with the children this morning about, and um, when I used to do schools work, and I would go into schools, one of the, the questions that kids would ask is, well, why did Jesus go back to heaven? Why did he ascend to heaven? Uh, if Jesus wanted people to believe in him, why didn't he just stay here like some great Highlander, some eternal being? And everybody would believe in him because you'd know that Jesus had always, had always been there. If you, know, if, you, if you knew somewhere, I don't know, in Rome or Jerusalem or Washington or Hunstanton, I don't know, that there is Jesus and he's been there, your grandparents remember him, and your great-grandparents remember him, and he's always been there. Why did Jesus ascend to heaven? And you think, well, wouldn't it be great if you could go and see Jesus? You could go online, Ticketmaster, and you could get tickets to go and watch Jesus. You could actually see him on the big screen, a little spot in the distance. You could see that's Jesus. And you could, uh, m- maybe, uh, maybe you could, uh, maybe you could book an appointment with him. Although if we have an element of reality with our National Health Service and my ability to get a foot pointing with a doctor, you might have to wait the whole of your lifetime to have five minutes with Jesus. And how well would we know someone? We've seen them on TV, we can see them in the distance in a huge venue, and maybe if we're lucky, we might get a minute with them. I never met the Queen. I... I think there's a few people, hands up here if you met Her Majesty the Queen. Just one, just the one, okay. I mean, it's hard enough to see the Queen. How do we meet Jesus? And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, look, the good, I've got some good news for you. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. And we're going to just explore why that is good news and how it impacts and changes things. Because what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go. And the reason I'm going to go is so that I can send my spirit 
to live within every believer. That each one of us has the ability to know Jesus through the Holy Spirit to the same degree. This was prophesied in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The time was coming when he would pour out his spirit. And this is what Jesus is saying. That John, We're in John 16. I've, I've, got, I've been going way too slow, so I'm going to try and speed up tonight. I'm going to try and do a little bit of a biggish chunk, which means some of it may be a, a little bit skipped over. But uh, John 15, 16, this is the time when he is about to be uh, arrested. It, later that evening, he's going to be arrested. In fact, within a few moments, perhaps with the end of John chapter 16, He's going to be arrested, he's going to be taken away, he's going to be uh, beaten, and he's going to be crucified. So this is the last sort of conversation with the disciples. He's told them to remain in his love. We looked at that a, a few months ago in the summer. He's talked about the reality of hatred that is coming. All of this is you find on our YouTube channel, or you, if you, wherever you get your podcast, if you go Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church, you can download these things and, and podcast and listen to them. And a few weeks ago, we, he talked about them uh, not giving up. They were going to face opposition, these disciples. They were going to be rejected. They were going to be hated, but they were not to fall away. And it's in that context that we pick it up in John 16 where he says, uh, you're filled with grief because I've said these things, but truly I say to you, it is for your good that I am going away. Jesus is not physically with flesh, kneecaps, toenails, hair going to stay for 2,000 years. He is going to ascend He's going to die, rise again, and then ascend. And he's going to send his spirit. So why was it good for the disciples that Jesus was leaving them? Well, we see at the end of this verse, he says, unless I go away, the advocate. Now, one of the things we discover is the way God's spirit is described. There are lots of different ways that are interchangeable. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of of the Father, the Holy Spirit, sometimes the advocate, which means the one who draws alongside the supporter, the helper, the one who never leaves us. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. We can all receive the spirit because Jesus has ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit. That was the story at the beginning of Acts. And we're going to try and just explore how we understand and experience God's spirit and what that might mean for us. There are some little tricky bits in here, uh, which scholars of the Bible might want to look at uh, my YouTube video of this or the podcast and slow it down because I'm going to fly through it because others are going to go, and I want to get to the stuff that's practical. So we're going to do a little bit of explanation and get on to the practical stuff. But the tricky stuff is, he says this, Jesus says, when he, the Holy Spirit, the advocate comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, there are different understandings about exactly what Jesus meant, but I'm just going to run through what is the most probable one that most people come to understand. Uh, Prove means to convict or convince, or convict and convince. So the Holy Spirit is going to make people aware of the truth. He is going to reveal, and it's going to impact their hearts in such a way that they are going to want to change. He's going to convict 
and convince. And what does Jesus say? About sin, because people do not believe in me. They go, well, well, what does that mean, Jesus? What he's saying is this, is that the religious people have been arguing about what is a sin and what isn't a sin, and, and Jesus must be a sinner because he seems to uh, accept and condone sinners. And what Jesus is saying is actually what the Holy Spirit will reveal is that the real sin was to reject me. And that Jesus is saying that he really is the one that we are to follow. And that when he has risen from the dead, then it will be revealed that people needed to choose whether to follow Jesus. And it's not about arguing whether this is a sin or that is a sin. It's about choosing to accept or follow him. And about righteousness, he says, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What's the logic of that? Well, it seems to be what he is saying is this, that people are saying that he, Jesus, was not righteous because he was befriending sinners and because he wasn't throwing out the Romans. So what the the Spirit is going to do and reveal to those who believe in him is that Jesus is righteous in being the friend of sinners, in befriending the outcasts, the Zacchaeuses, the women at the well, the women caught in adultery, the women that pour out and touch him, uh, the, 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 the people who come to him in fear. And that he is righteous in not wanting and not choosing to take a political, physical, uh, a powerful kingdom. He's not going to throw out the Romans. So, So the Spirit is going to prove that my way is the righteous way. And lastly, he says about judgment because of the prince of this world now stands condemned. The prince of this world is a way of describing Satan. One of the ways that we understand Satan is to be the accuser, the one who condemns. And he is saying that the prince of this world is the one who is condemned, that Satan is the one who is condemned, not Jesus. Where do we go with all this? I found this a really helpful little uh, statement from Billy Graham. He says, it is God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and my job to love. When I became a Christian, you could have written a list this long of all the things in my life that were wrong, that were not like Christ, that needed sorting out. And when I became a Christian, it could have been that the church where I became a Christian or other Christians could have looked at me and go, well, he needs to sort that one out first, and then he needs to sort that one out, and then he needs to sort that one out. And religious people tend to have, oh, I'm not religious people, all kinds of people, but it tends to fall into the religious people. Religious people have a great ability to spot the things in other people that they need to sort out. And the good news is that when I became a Christian... It was the work of the Holy Spirit to transform me, not the criticism of Christians. And behind the kind of things I think Jesus is saying is that they were accusing him of being a sinner and they were accusing him of not being righteous and they were saying that he was going to be judged. But he was saying that when the Spirit comes and when he's resurrected from the dead, they will see that his way of reaching out in grace and mercy is the true way and the real way. And the real sin was to reject Jesus. And now that I've been a Christian for, 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 for oh, way, a uh, long time, <laughs> now that I'm in a, a flip over 45 years I've been a Christian, and, and there's still a long list of stuff that he needs to deal with. And the good news is that it, he's been working it out in his time scale. 
and saying, this needs to be sorted. This needs to be sorted. And maybe other Christians were going, about time Donald sorted that out. But it's the work of the Spirit to convict, to prove. It's the inner voice of the Spirit. And when the religious start to say, well, you're a sinner and you're a sinner, we're not filled with his Spirit. Let's go back and we'll try and apply that in a few more moments. Uh, He says this, I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, is the same Holy Spirit, the presence of God within our lives, comes, he will guide you into all truth. A few cartoons, just because I like cartoons. Um, Those of you who do know me will know that I subscribe to uh, about a dozen cartoons every day. And uh, I do read the Bible in the morning, but I also read a lot of cartoons. Is there a GPS to help you find where you are in life? Is there a way in which we can be guided to understand where we are in life? My advice is that you should never take my advice. So who's going to guide us? If human beings are frail and fraught and unreliable. Charlie Brown says, Dear Agnes, I like your advice column in the paper. I feel that I could use some of your advice myself. I don't know, however, exactly what it is that I want to ask you. Just send me some advice. So... How might God guide us? And what do we want him to guide us into? And some of us will say, I don't know where I am in my life. I don't know who to trust. I don't, know where, I don't even know how God speaks to me. And so I want to unpack that because some of us will have heard other Christians say, well, God said this to me and I felt God teach me to do that. And then others will go, well, I don't, I'm not, not that religious. How on earth could God speak to me? How do we know if God is speaking? We believe that God has sent his Holy Spirit, that Jesus has ascended to heaven so that his Spirit can live in us so that we might know God individually. So we don't have to queue up at the back of the crowd and get a 30-second once appointment in our life, but that we can know Jesus within by his Spirit. So how do we know what that feels like? I listen to so many people talk about that experience, and I deduce some things that have in common but the first thing to say is this that the voice of the spirit of god will always come out of being and aligned with the bible it starts there because that is the anchor that is the uh, measure against all thoughts and feelings that go so it's really important to be able to understand what the bible is saying and to remember it and to check the things that we think against that And the second great thing that God has given to all human beings is a conscience. And so God does speak through our conscience and that sense of feeling guilty. However, our consciences can get tampered with. If we ignore them enough, they go quiet. But if if we've also experienced a lot of childhood criticism then our consciences can get a little bit overcooked and we feel guilty about things that we don't need to feel guilty about, which is where we need to go back to Scripture. So in the main, a conscience is a good thing. It's a really good thing, but we just need to be slightly aware that if we've got no sense of conscience, we've probably damaged it and we need to allow the Scripture to re- and the Holy Spirit to rebreathe it. 
And if we feel guilty about absolutely everything we do, there may be a little bit of mum or dad or granny or teacher or bully in the classroom speaking over us and tampered with our conscience. So how do I know if God is speaking to me? If my conscience isn't reliable and I don't know what necessarily what the Bible is saying to me today, how do I know if God is speaking to me today? I want to suggest that God speaks in our hearts or our minds or our thoughts. Let's call it our thoughts. In other words, that it is not that every thought we have is from God. A lot of my thoughts are not from God. But that there might be a way of discerning what thoughts are from him. And I would be looking for the thoughts that are persistent, that are what I would call compelling. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. That are compelling thoughts that maybe make the, goose, the hairs on the back of our hands stand up, that maybe give us goosebumps, that maybe don't go away. That thought that says, why don't you say this to somebody? That thought that says, why don't you say sorry for that? That thought that says, why don't you give money to this person? That thought that says, why don't you go there? That thought that says, why don't you phone that person? Why don't you do their shopping? Why don't you uh, sit alongside them? Why don't you invite them? That kind of thought that comes and comes and comes. Why don't you do this with your life? For that way, with God's spirit speaking, but again, we just need to check ourselves because as human beings, we're sinful and we can get all kinds of muddled up. So we need to make sure that our motivations, because certain other motivations can give us strong, compelling thoughts. So here's a few just to throw out. We need to check that we are motivated by mercy, not anger. Because as we read scripture, we see that Jesus is motivated by mercy. And he wants to set people free. And so we need to check in ourselves that what we really, really want to do isn't some form of bitterness or revenge or desire to hurt someone. We need to check that we are motivated by love, not envy. In other words, that it's not the fact that we resent that somebody else has more than us or has better abilities than us or that we haven't got this thing, that that isn't driving us to be something or be someone, to look a certain way. We need to check that it's just purely out of love, that we're driven by love. Thirdly, we need to ensure that we're driven not by attention-seeking, but by a desire not to be noticed, by humility. Because sometimes the desire to be famous or the ego or to be liked or appreciated or to be thanked or to be noticed is a really strong motive. And so sometimes the Spirit of God is pointing that out to us and saying, no, you, you, you're attention-seeking. Let it go. Sometimes we need to make sure that we are motivated by desire to serve others rather than a desire to look good. And sometimes we need to make sure that we're, we're motivated not by greed, not by having more, not by more stuff, but by a desire to pay a cost and a price and to give up and to follow Jesus. And so we try and work out this really strong desire to go and talk to somebody after the service tonight in the coffee time. We think, we see that person over there and we're standing on our own, their own. And the heart goes, go and talk to them, go and talk to them. Like, Is that God? Well, if it's driven out of mercy or love or humility or service, 
and if it's costly perhaps, then there's a very good chance it's, it's from God. So we act on it. We do it. But Jesus goes on to say the real test of whether what we are thinking is coming from God is that he says that the Spirit will glorify him. That means to make the greatness of Jesus known. In other words, when God is speaking to us about what to say, what to do, what to think, what to get rid of, what to start to do, it will always make people go, how good is God? Just go a little bit of John and we'll come back to this practical stuff. And uh, Jesus says, look, that the Spirit of God is from him and isn't speaking a different, a, a different set of ideas. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. In other words, he will speak only what is coming from the very heart of God. Uh, in other words, that he is to glorify Jesus. And then he says the same kind of thing, talking about only speaking what he hears from Jesus. This way of saying that the Spirit and Jesus, the Spirit and Father, are one. And then Jesus goes on. He says, in a little while, you'll see me no more. He's reminding them of his death and resurrection. After that little while, you will see me. In other words, you're not going to see me again. This time, two days' time, I'm going to be dead and buried. This time, five days' time, I will be alive. And they question him. He said, what are you you talking about? How can this be? And he responds and and says, uh, uh, you're asking me a question. Let me try and explain it to you. He says, I tell you this, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, in the main, he's talking about what is going to happen in the next 24 hours. But there's also a bit of a theme to being a disciple of Jesus, where there are times when we grieve And we know that there is a hope and a joy to come. It's not always easy. He reiterates it by using the analogy of a woman giving birth to a child. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. Now... Uh, various ladies have spoken to me about the different interpretations of that. But it is certainly true that women go through immense pain in childbirth. But there is a joy when a child is born. Mark and Katie are experiencing in their lack of sleep at this time. Pain will be followed with joy. Now it is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And then he says, and in that day you will no longer ask me anything, for very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now we looked at this a few weeks ago. Please look at the podcast. It's a really important scripture that's said a number of times in this passage. It says emphasized, it's important, but it's important to get it right. So please go back and Google that and find it and, and look at it in detail. But just a quick recap. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, it's not a phrase tacked on to the end as some sort of magic spell. It's the reality of asking for that which Jesus would ask. In in other words, asking to help us do what Jesus would do. Asking 
for what Jesus would ask for in our lives. Whenever we ask something in the name of Jesus, we're asking for what Jesus would want us to ask for. We're asking for that we need to be representatives of Jesus, that we would bring him glory, that we would, make, we would live such a life. If our whole life is given to saying, Jesus, here I am, fill me, that other people would go, how great you are. And he says, yep, and whatever you ask, when that is your agenda, when that is your goal, whatever you ask, I will give you to help you meet and fulfill that goal. If you want to be more loving, I will make you more loving. I will give that to you. If you want compassion, I will give you compassion. If you want grace to be able to forgive, I will give you grace. If you want wisdom to know how to respond and what to do in a situation, I will give you wisdom. If you want perseverance, I will enable you to persevere. Whatever you ask for in my name, I will give you. Is not some, about how to get rich. It's about how to be more like Jesus, to ask for the things that Jesus is asking. A few months ago, I wrote this prayer. Uh, you might want to just take a photograph of it, or it will appear on the video, and you can freeze it there. This is the kind of things that Jesus says, you pray these prayers, I will promise to do it for you. Help us to seek the lost and show them the way. Help us to be among the poor and share what we have. Help us to recognize the injured and bind up their wounds. Help us to care for the sick and seek their healing. Help us to befriend sinners and demonstrate your grace and mercy. Help us to resist the powerful and stand with the vulnerable. Help us pray for your kingdom come and your will be done. And if there is a feeling within you that's going, that is what I want with my life. That's God's spirit. That's God's spirit convicting and saying, come on, let's go for this. This is what I made you for. It would look different in every one of us. But he's given his spirit within us to equip us to be these kind of people, to be his disciples, to be his followers. This is what it means. It's not the rock star at the end of the stadium. It's Jesus in here. So let's just quickly wrap up John 15. He says, look, I know what I'm saying is a little bit complicated, but I will make it clearer as time goes on. In that day, you will ask in my name. He repeats this thing that whatever you want, if you're wanting to serve me, if you're wanting to follow me, I will give you. And then he says, look, I'm going back to the Father. Back is such a key word. This pre-existent incarnate God who came and took on flesh and became one of us is to go back so that he can send his spirit. And it says the disciples understand. And in their understanding, he says, remember, the next few hours are not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And then he says these words, which I'm going to look at next week. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Next week is Remembrance Sunday. We'll be praying for peace in our world and remembering the cost of war. And we'll look at that verse. So let's just try and wrap it up. How do we receive God's spirit? 
How do we let him come into our life to transform, to change our thinking, to guide us, to show us what we're doing wrong, and to lead us into do what is right? Firstly, we rejoice that Jesus has sent his spirit, and we invite him to come among us. We respond to the conviction of sin, where the conscience, where the voice within us is saying, that has got to change within you. That is not how God would have us be. We repent, we turn around, we say, God, move me away from that towards this. Where our motivations have been wrong. And maybe just as we, we're here, as we're concluding, we just say, God, show us. And some of these things, we'll look at that and go, no, nope, not me, no, nope, not me. And there may be something that goes, yeah, that's me. And it may be that's the thing that's been going, yeah, that's you. When that's been going on for months and we come back to it and we know God's saying it. And very often we're slow and we have to allow God's spirit to keep on saying the same thing. And one of the things I've noticed in my experience of God's spirit work in my life is when he points something out, he puts his finger on a spot, I wiggle and move off somewhere else and he comes back and I think, convict me of something else. And he doesn't, you know, he goes straight back to the same spot. That is the thing, Donald, we need to deal with. And I go, well, yeah, but I've got loads of other things we could deal with. Could we not just deal with that thing over there? I go, no, 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 this is the one. And it may be that that happens again to us, is happening again to us tonight or through a scripture that keeps on coming in a different way. Where we've been motivated by anger, not mercy, God says, let it go. Where we've been motivated by envy, not love, God says, let it go. Where we've been motivated by attention-seeking, not humility. God says, you need to bring this to me to be free. Maybe nobody will thank you. Maybe nobody will notice you. Maybe you won't be the most popular person in the world. But I love you. Where we've been motivated by pride and the wanting to be important and successful and respected and valued. And the Spirit of God says, I want you to serve. I want you to wash some feet that stink and smell. And where the Spirit of God is prompting us that we be motivated by greed and having more stuff. And when we allow God's spirit to point these things out to us, then we respond by saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come in and cleanse me. I need you to come in and forgive me. As we symbolize that in baptism, but it's a daily experience. God, will you wash away the stuff that's wrong in my life? And we commit ourselves to him again and afresh. And then we listen for that voice that's guiding the voice that says how not to give up, how to persevere, how to keep going, how to hang on when we're discouraged, when there are setbacks, when there are difficulties, when people make it hard for us, when our own foolishness makes it hard for us. And we listen to his voice saying, keep going. And we ask his spirit to give us the wisdom to tell the difference between things that are true and things that are untrue, the things that we imagine, the things that are uh, out there on the internet, the things that other people say. Lord, will you show me truth? Will you give me a ring and a resonance when we hear something that's true? 
and will you give me an uncomfortableness when I hear something that's not true? Lord, will you help me to understand grace? Will you help me to really dig deep down into the immense cost of the forgiveness and mercy of Jesus and so know the love of God for the sinner that I might be free in grace? Lord, will you help me to understand how to speak compassion over others? how to speak words of grace, how to speak words that lift and build and encourage and strengthen. Lord, will you help me how and show me how to be actions of love. After this service, for the rest of this evening, will you show me how to have words of compassion, actions of love. Will you help me understand grace and discern truth. And as we seek to be guided, we ask God for the tools that we need, knowing that he will give them to us. We ask for love. We ask for compassion, we ask for grace, we ask for wisdom, and we ask for perseverance. Another prayer that I wrote sometime in during the lockdown for one of our live streams, just taking the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23. The, the attributes of the Holy Spirit in our life and asking God to fill us with those things. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to share in communion. And uh, for the second part, this prayer will be on the screen. Again, you can take a photograph of it. Similar to that other prayer, it's just saying, Jesus, will you fill me with you? And takes each of the fruit of the Spirit and applies them. Lord, will you fill me that I may love and transform your world? that I may have joy and display your glory, that I may have peace and bring your presence to those I am near, that I may be patient and model your grace, that I may be kind and bring hope, that I may be good and live justly, that I may be faithful and stay close to you, that I may be gentle and bind up the brokenhearted, that I may be self-controlled, and resist temptation.